Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, look, people said uh, Tesla's original electric car was niche and it has completely disrupted the premium market. Uh, Tesla's Model 3 is now the number five selling car, electric or gas, in the country today. He is right. When the Tesla Model 3 first came out, a lot of people were looking at this electric vehicle that had a far more simplistic design than a lot of other cars. And, you know, they said that it might appeal to a small subset of people, that it's not really practical with the charging stations, that, you know, this will never have brought a pill. That's what the storyline was. And of course, now, as he points out, it's one of the top five selling cars in the U.S. So obviously it does have broad appeal. Now, if you haven't been living under a rock for the past week, you have seen part of the Cybertruck unveiling. And the question is whether the Cybertruck can do the same thing, whether it can move out of this niche market that people are predicting into broad appeal. Now, of course, I'm going to be going over my portfolio update and answering questions later in the video. But the first thing I want to talk about is this. Elon Musk, I want to point out before going into this whole Cybertruck unveiling, uh, I want to first say that I like Elon Musk. For people that don't really know his past, he started by taking out some of his parents' money. Him and his brother used like a loan of like $25,000, $30,000, something like that. They started a company called Zip2, which they sold to Compaq for $22 million. And now most people, that's kind of their dream in life is to sell a startup company, make millions of dollars and retire at that point. You could just live an easy life with $10 million, live off the interest of it. But he didn't do that. He invested $10 million, pretty much his entire cut into X.com, a company that later merged with Cofinity to form PayPal. And then PayPal was acquired for $1.5 billion from eBay. Elon Musk made $165 million on that transaction. So he had an early win, but instead of just relaxing and living easy, he reinvested it back into another company, and now he's worth $165 million. Now, $165 million, again, most people would take it super easy after this point, live a very easy life, and that's enough money that you could put it in a savings account and live off the 2% interest. He didn't do that. He poured tens of millions of dollars, $90 million into SpaceX. Over a six-year period, he put $70 million of his own money into Tesla, which he joined in 2004. And those stakes in all the different companies that he's invested in over the time has made him worth about $23 billion now. Now, obviously, there's a lot to admire about his work history the amount of wealth and businesses he's been able to create. And, you know, he, he went from a self-starter to being worth billions of dollars, which is very impressive in my book, at least. But beyond that, it's interesting that he doesn't try to fit in the mold of a CEO. He doesn't, you know, wear the tie and uh, watch every single little thing he says on Twitter. He's outside of that box. He doesn't care about fitting into that mold, which is another thing that I like about him. I think he's very interesting. And I think a lot of that has worked to his advantage. Now let's actually jump into the Tesla truck unveiling here. It starts off with all these lasers, this whole lights. This is a, a pretty amazing event that they put on here. In the future, there will be no straws, I promise. This is what they had at the beginning. This kind of punk grunge girl explaining 
you know, this story about everybody's addicted to oil and we want to switch it over to electric. The number one mode of transport for a cyber go. The greatest evolution in vehicular fashion and function. I now present to you my creator. Then Elon Musk comes on stage, introduces himself, and he starts off by saying that, and showing examples of it on the screen, that designs of trucks have stayed pretty close, almost the same for the past, like, hundred years. And he shows the three top competitors right now, takes off their logo, says that you can barely even tell them apart. Obviously, he's setting up for how different his truck is going to be. So people expect it to be different. He showed all the other trucks that look the same. But I don't think they expected it to be this different than what trucks currently are. Uh, initial impressions, it's very, very different. That's for sure. He did not lie about the Cybertruck not following the status quo. Um, nobody can accuse him of copying the design of a, uh, a existing truck. Looks completely different than everything else. Uh, and then you have like all the people here getting out of the truck. It looks like some people point out in the audience that it's something from the Matrix is what it looks like. Now, the event continues to go on, and throughout it, he shows a lot of stats about the truck, you know, the the speed and height and width and everything. And then they start doing these, like, onstage tests where he has friends over there hitting a door of an F-150 or some other competitor truck with a sledgehammer. Of course, it bashes in the door, leaves these big dents. And then, of course, he does the same thing with the cyber truck. Wind, really wind up and nail it. Up until this point, everything is going great. The unveiling, the whole event is going great, but everybody knows what's coming up. Everybody knows what happens when he tests the glass. This is where yeah. everything starts to fall apart with this demo. Sure? Yeah. Oh my god. Well, maybe that was a little too hard. <laughs> that was not supposed to happen. And then they try it on the back window. In hopes that it will deflect off of that. It didn't go through. So that was, a, that was a plus side. Let's try the right. Try that one, really? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Oh <laughs> man, it didn't go through. <laughs> All right. Now, Elon, I think he actually uh, he plays this off pretty well. He laughs, you know. He jokes that it didn't go through. You know that there's work to do on it, that type of thing. But it's still, you can just feel it suck the air out of the room. There's so much excitement. Everybody was all hyped. The whole unveiling was going so good up until this point. And then it also makes it so that he's, you know, he's kind of talking trash on the Ford F-150, right? He's talking trash on the competitors. That's difficult to do when you're standing in front of a truck that has two shattered glass windows. And it didn't break. Weird reason it broke now. I don't know why. Yeah, he's talking about how they threw all these different things at the glass and it didn't break. On their demo, it just broke. So everything that they had planned after this kind of falls apart. And then throughout the rest of the demo, he keeps looking back at it. You can tell it's throwing him off from what he's reading on it. I actually, part of me just felt bad for him. 
And I know I'm sitting here feeling bad for a billionaire, but the amount of work that went into this presentation, you know, he, he kept this under wraps for a year, this truck, and then the unveiling. And if you work in software like I do, you know that live demos, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Everything that you plan ahead of time that you think, oh, this is tested, this is going to work in a live demo, somehow it finds a way of going wrong. In fact, with the whole throwing the metal ball at the window, there's a lot of people saying, why didn't they test this beforehand? How could they have gone on stage without testing this? I thought the same thing. I thought there's no way that they drove this truck up on stage and that's the first time that they've thrown a metal ball at the window. Because obviously this wasn't planned, but here they are showing a video of it before they went on stage of them testing the very thing that he did on stage. This is in slow motion. We can see him throwing the ball. Bounces right off the window. So yeah, they did test it before he went on stage. But here we are. He's standing on stage in front of a truck that has two broken windows. And mind you that we're 10 minutes into this presentation. It's a 25-minute presentation. So over half the unveiling here, he is standing in front of his truck that has two shattered windows which is very distracting when you're showing video and you're trying to talk about how tough the truck is. Now, another interesting part of this whole thing is he talks about the towing power on it, how much it will be able to pull, and then he brings in a real-world competition against the Ford F-150. You can see all throughout this entire thing, he's going after the Ford F-150, and there's a reason why. The Ford F-150 is the king of trucks in the U.S. That is the one that sells over and over again. People will buy the Ford F-150, and then they will buy another Ford F-150, and then they'll buy another Ford F-150. So him distinguishing himself by creating a unique design away from that truck, and then constantly talking about how much tougher his truck is. Because the people that buy the Ford F-150, you know, it's all about being the biggest, toughest truck. He's saying that his accelerates faster, that it travels faster, that it can pull more, that it has an armored shell, on and on and on. He's talking about how much better his truck is. But what he shows here is a video of the Cybertruck having a tug-of-war with the Ford F-150. But what about a real-world real world test? Like, let's, let's uh, actually have a tug-of-war here with an F-150. So you can see, you know, we're, see, see which one can pull which. Let's let's uh, let's do the tug of war video. I mean, yeah, but it was uphill. Now you can actually hear the Ford F one fifty, the tire screeching as it's getting pulled uphill. Not a good look for Ford F-150. It's kind of a, a thing to embarrass him there. And then he mentions that it was being pulled uphill, right? This is all about manliness. The people that buy trucks, again, they want the biggest, the strongest, the best, that type of thing. Now, he actually released this video on his Twitter again of this the same tug of war happening. And there's a little bit of drama over this. There's a little bit of contention over it because some people didn't think it was fair for Ford here. Uh, one of the things is, is you can see that the Tesla starts moving if you watch carefully, you can see that the wheels of the Tesla start moving before the Ford. So the Cybertruck, they say, has an advantage in a momentum, that the tires are already moving. The Ford starts to spin its tires after the Cybertruck has already moved a little bit. There's also a lot of people wondering why the Ford F-150 didn't use all-wheel drive. The Tesla's all-wheel drive, so it had more traction there. 
And then another thing people point out is we know what the Ford F-150's weight is. We don't know what the Cybertruck's weight is. So if it weighs a thousand more pounds, that's going to help those tires stick to the ground. So Ford, they're not happy about this. They thought that this was an unfair competition. In fact, the VP of Ford, Sonny, says, hey, Elon Musk, send us a Cybertruck and we'll do an apples to apples test for you. This is kind of a tongue-in-cheek message that he's sending to Elon. And then Elon Musk responded, bring it on. Now, back to the event. The rest of it went pretty good. There wasn't really any problems other than the glass looks ugly. It was a little awkward after that. But they went through more numbers, showed that they also are making a Tesla four-wheeler, which looks pretty awesome, I must say. But the rest of the event went pretty well. Now, there's two things that people mostly talked about after this event. One of them was the design of the truck, which is a very unique, oddly shaped design. And then the other thing was the, the demo being botched, the glass shattering when he threw the ball. Yeah, Gene, I mean, the specs certainly uh, look pretty solid, but the design getting a, a lot of uh, flack, you could say, especially among analysts. Uh, where do you what do you think of this? I mean, do you think that do you think that sales could actually be pretty strong for this vehicle and that Wall Street is uh, poo pooing it too soon? I do love this question. Oh, the analysts don't like the design of the truck. What do analysts know about design? How could they possibly judge a, a brand new design that we've never seen before how that's going to sell? And that's what I wanted to mention was that after this unveiling, a lot of people said, well, Elon, you're not going to tell us the pre-orders because they're so bad, right? You're not even going to mention it. There's a lot of people, you know, spamming him on Twitter saying that he's not going to mention the amount of pre-orders. And then the first day he tweets out 146,000 Cybertruck orders so far. I get the analysts can try to judge different parts of a business, but are they really in the business of judging the design of a truck or if that's going to appeal to massive amounts of audience, especially a brand new design that really nobody knows if it's going to appeal? So I don't trust analysts' ideas on this at all or how well this truck is going to sell. In fact, a couple days later, Elon tweets out again saying that he has over 200,000 pre-orders on the Cybertruck despite the quote-unquote botch debut. Now, I will point out, to be fair, that you can order a Cybertruck by putting $100 today. And it says that it's fully refundable. So this isn't exactly a giant commitment. But regardless, getting 200,000 pre-orders already, I think, is a, a pretty good sign. Now, a thing I take issue with is everybody, every single article you'll see written about this debut is they, they use the word botched. And I see that the thing didn't go quite as planned. But seeing that this was botched, the fact that this debut and that that little accident happened during it caused all of social media, everybody to talk about it over the course of a week, it creates that much awareness for completely free. I have a hard time calling that botched. If you have everybody in the U.S. talking about your vehicle because, oh, some windows broke when they weren't supposed to, nobody's going to take that too seriously. Obviously, Tesla, they'll look into that, get that fixed. That's not really a big deal. It wasn't something disastrous happening in terms of the core product. What it did do is I think created probably hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars worth of advertisement around this product. And this is what I think is worth mentioning. The Elon Musk, his character, his whole persona has created an environment where he himself, I think, is worth billions of dollars of advertisement. He himself can replace a marketing team. If you don't know about Tesla, they don't give away free cars to celebrities. They don't have sponsorships. They don't advertise. They don't do any kind of marketing that way whatsoever. All they do is they release their product and they rely on social media and buzz and their fans and everything else to generate 
buzz for their products. So when you have a debut like this, that although there were some awkward kind of embarrassing parts, what it did was create massive amounts of buzz for their products. If you compare that to what the Ford Motor Company has spent in advertising from 2017 to 2018, this is in billions, 2.53, 1.86, 2.28, 2.56, 2.47. Again, this is in billions. So last year in 2018, Ford spent 2.33 billion dollars in advertising meanwhile what do you see do you see a lot of ford vehicles the only time that you see a ford vehicle right now online is it getting pulled up a hill by a tesla that's the only ford advertising that you're getting right now they're doing the linear television doing the same thing that they have been doing and at the same time tesla is getting billions of dollars worth of advertisement for free because of again because of elon's personality the type of persona that he's created for his vehicles and his company. And I think this is the main point. I work around a lot of sales guys, a lot of young guys that make a lot of money. When they look at buying an electric vehicle, the choice for them is not, do I want to buy an electric vehicle or a gas vehicle? The choice for them is always, do I want to buy a Tesla or a gas vehicle? They don't care about other electric vehicles. The Tesla is the one that everybody wants. They don't want to just move to electric. They want to move to Tesla. That's what this company has been able to create. It's branding. It's the name Tesla. It's a name Elon Musk. It's the whole persona behind it. So I'm not as bearish on this whole thing as some people are. A lot of people, the design, obviously, of the truck is super divisive. Either people like it and think it's interesting or they don't like it. So that's the big thing that people debate over. What I will say is the neighborhood I live in, if I went out and I bought a Range Rover, nobody would bat an eye if I drove it around the neighborhood. Nobody would care. I guess people would think, okay, yeah, you have a decent car. But that would not be something that draws any kind of attention. If I drove this thing around my neighborhood it would draw attention. People would bat an eye. People would look at it. So there is something about that. If you want something that's different, something that's going to draw attention, something that people will look at, this is the car you're going to buy. Not the Range Rover, not the Porsche, not anything else. People that want to stand out are going to be buying this thing. Now, in terms of the stock price, over the past five days, it was trading before the event around $358. And then it dumped about 6%. We're down about 7.2% right now. So about $25 down. Um, Okay, that's some movement, I guess, not anything too concerning. If you go back year to date, Tesla stock moves up and down 5% all the time. Week after week, month after month, this stock jumps up and down. It's one of the most heavily traded stocks on both sides, people shorting it and buying it. So there's a lot of volatility with this stock. On the subject of trading Tesla stock, I have to mention this. So I've shown this type of thing before where a, a guy had, I believe he had puts on Apple and an Apple stock went up. And so he lost an enormous amount of money, but he did that using somebody else's money, right? He used Robin Hood's money. He exploited this whole system of infinite leverage and he made that guh noise in the video. Well, people are calling this person right here, guh 2.0, because he did the same thing where he kind of live streamed himself showing the returns of his Tesla calls. So he was betting that the stock was going up. He had a lot of his own money this time and you get to see the results here. You know, maybe this could be a good thing. I mean, uh... For the people just listening to this, he's at negative $50,000 for the day. Less child support I'm going to have to pay. Yeah? And, uh... The IRS isn't going to see any money this year from me. So... Now you can see he's an optimist looking at the bright side here. 
Now, the people that get into this, it's interesting to see how he just lost $50,000 in one day, right? Just betting the wrong way, lost what is more, almost double like the nation's average salary in one morning. But here's his plan, right? He's going he's gonna to learn from this knowledge. He's going to take his losses and he's going to go into something that is a dependable way to create wealth over long periods of time. I'd recommend just putting his money into index funds. You know, he doesn't have to do dividend growth investing per se. Maybe he could take the rest of his money and buy real estate, something like that. So let's go ahead and see what his plans are. So let's see. all I have to do is just roll these options over to February. I can bank big on their quarter one earnings report. And then I'll have enough money at that point where I can go and buy the uh, freaking ugly bulletproof glass Tesla truck. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not. Now, of course, on my channel, I talk all the time about different investing strategies. The one I'm doing here, this portfolio named Passive Income is my portfolio. There's a link to it in the description. But this one's based around long-term growth through dividend investing, dividend growth investing primarily. I also talk about day trading. And just like shown in that video, you know, I repeatedly warned against day trading, said that the lure of making quick money oftentimes leads to those type of results, life-changing, drastically negative results. So it's something that I've spoken out against. And although there's responsible ways to do it and there's ways to mitigate some of the risk, Overall, it's not a strategy I would advocate to anybody, but I will say I do appreciate people like him that are willing to film themselves and live stream the results as they're making these big bets. It almost reminds me of fables of old fables that your great, great grandparents would tell to kids warning them about, you know, different dangers out in the world. It's like we have that now with somebody's iPhone. They're just, it's just this old fable about warning us. Hey, if you go into day trading and you make these large option bets that you don't really understand the risk associated with it, this could be the outcome of it. You could lose an entire year's worth of salary in one morning, that type of thing. My portfolio is completely different. I don't make bets. I invest. That's the difference right there. I'm not betting day to day whether these companies are going to go up and down in value. What I do is I just buy a portion of them on the grounds that I think that they're solid companies, they're at reasonable valuations, and that they pay me money back through a certain specific way called dividends. And so I can go into any of them like real estate here. All time, I'm up on most companies. There's a few that I'm still in the red, but I've had this portfolio for quite some time. Overall, my portfolio is up over $9,000 since the beginning of 2018, which I think is pretty decent because for a large portion of this portfolio, I didn't have a whole lot invested. For like the first year of it, I had less than $20,000 invested. But more importantly, this portfolio gives me a constant stream of income. If I look at the past week, I've made $285, but $25 of that has been through earned dividends. These are dividends that these companies that I hold pay me all the time residually over and over again. If I look at the past month period, so this is since October 28th of 2019, the past 30-day period, $217 in earned dividends. When they're paid, they will show up here in my activity screen. I have it filtered by dividends. So this is all the dividends that I'm paid. I earn them and then a couple weeks later, they'll be paid to me. They're owed to me just like your paycheck is on your day job. And I look at this, November 7th, you know, all these different dividends, $12, $1.77, $2.47, it goes on. AbbVie pays a pretty big dividend, $12 here on November 15th. 
And then on the 15th, I got paid one, two, three, four dividends, right? So $12, $2, $7, $9. Then on the 21st, Welltower, which is a REIT, a real estate investment trust, paid $26. So that's a pretty big dividend there. And then we have the Royal Bank of Canada here. So RY, this is a Canadian holding I have, paid $7.27 on the 22nd. And if you see this right here where it says negative dividend, the reason that that's showing right here is because this is a foreign holding. I'm a U.S. citizen investing in a Canadian company. And in the U.S., we have an agreement with Canada where they remove the 15% capital gains on the dividend immediately. So $1.09 is 15% to $7.25. But then I don't pay additional taxes on this in the U.S. So that's the taxes I paid on my dividend. I don't owe any more taxes on this money right here. And I've been tracking on this separate spreadsheet here. I made this just in Google Sheets. There's a couple of videos about it. If you look through my video history, there's a couple that I explain how to use this, where to download it, all that type of stuff. It's completely free. This is my favorite one because it shows the separate stream of income that I have created when creating this portfolio. When I started off, it started off very small. Just my first month that I actually was paid dividends was $8.76. At the time, that felt amazing to earn $8.76 from a separate stream of income that was entirely passive. And then we fast forward almost two years, and I look at this, $183.85. That's what I earned last month. Uh, as this goes on, as I keep reinvesting this money back into my portfolio and buying more shares, this is going to pass $200 really soon. I'll be up above $200. Like I showed in the past month, the earned dividends has been $217. So I'm already getting to the point where this portfolio now is paying me over $200 a month. Currently, I'm reinvesting all of that money just to get this snowball going as fast as possible. All right, so I have some time for a couple questions. Uh, you can write in at josephcarlsonshow at gmail.com. You can also message me on Twitter and Instagram. The first one is from Arpad Toth. He says, good luck getting reach from $100 per month when you're already at 50,000. You know, I actually hung on to this comment. It was made only about two months ago. And the reason that I hung on to it is because he's saying good luck getting reach out of $100 per month, right? And he's saying that like $100 a month, that's not a lot of money. That's not going to be impactful. But now I just showed you in this video that I'm earning $200 or more a month. In the last 30 days, I earned $215 in dividends. So you can see the snowballing effect there. In a couple months time, I went from earning $100 per month to earning around $200 per month. Like I said, when I started this portfolio, before starting, I didn't earn any money on the side. There was no reach because there was no extra stream of income. So not starting it at all, you don't have any extra income. Uh, the first month I earned $8. I remember being excited about 50 cent dividends, 20 cent dividends coming in. You know, that was a pretty exciting thing. Now I'm getting dividends that are $27, $15 coming in pretty frequently. All throughout the month, I'm getting that money paid to me. Uh, so I went from $8 to earning $100 a month, and then from $100 a month in a few months to earning $200 a month. So I would ask you, when do I start getting some reach out of this? When does it start becoming impactful? You can see the pattern of this stream of income rapidly growing over time, compounding my portfolio. It's adding to my gains. Out of the gains that I have, it's almost $2,000 worth of the gains. And that's going up drastically. The first $1,000 I earned in dividends took almost a year and a half to earn it. And now I've almost earned $2,000. I've almost doubled that in about six months time, which is a third of the time. So this is what people don't understand is that 
first of all, if you never start at all, you're not going to earn any money on the side. You're not going to create a passive stream of income doing this. But if you start and you're diligent and you keep doing this, this stream of income will grow. $100 per month, if it stayed that way for the rest of my life, yeah, that wouldn't be a lot of reach. But it's not going to stay at $100 a month. It's already $200 a month. Eventually, I will get it to $500 a month. That $500 will continually buy more shares of these companies that pay me income. I will grow it to $1,000. There's people in my Discord that I started for this channel that they make thousands of dollars a month in dividends. It's not going to stay at $200 a month very long. This income stream will continue to grow. Chris says, Joseph, I have now watched every video on your channel. Amazing stuff. I would like to see a video about how you plan your day. Do you do lists, calendars, um, get things done, anything like that? I would like to get some tips from you on how to find time to keep up with the news, reading books, go to your job, spend time with family, etc. What are your favorite news sources and financial information? Where do you find videos of interviews you play on your channel? Best regards, Chris. Okay, Chris. Well, I appreciate the email. Um, I'm glad you like the channel. You know, it might be a disappointing answer, but I don't have any like advanced calendar system or anything like that, like to-do lists. What I do is I usually create just some notes on my, literally the the notes app on the iPhone. I'll write down a few things I want to get done that I don't want to forget that day. That's pretty much it. So there's no big master plan or anything like that. Um, as far as the news, all the basic news sources, mostly financial news. So a lot of CNBC, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Financial Times, uh, as well as just different media outlets like that. I will say with the news that I have a specific advantage in that when you start becoming even a little bit popular as a YouTuber, uh, a lot of people will send you in news. So if anything remotely big happens at all in the financial world, I'll have somebody message me on Twitter or comment on YouTube or ask me on Instagram or, or something. I'll find out about any big news relatively quick. So, uh, that's where I get a lot of the news. It's a, a mixture of running the YouTube channel as well as all the big financial journals. Different books, I have to find time to read books. That's something that's difficult because I have to decide, do I want to just do the easy thing, which is totally relax and watch TV? Or am I in the mood to read something that's a little bit more productive and I'll read a book? So that's something I actually do have to carve time out for. Usually it's on weekends or vacations and breaks. That's usually when I have more time. So over the next month or so, I plan on doing more reading. Um, I think my biggest tip as far as doing day-to-day stuff, that type of thing, is I just put a lot of energy in the stuff that I want to do. So on the YouTube, I'll put a lot of energy into the videos. At work, taking on a project, I'll put a lot of energy in the project. I think it's just better to spend a smaller amount of time doing something with a high level of energy than just dragging it on, putting in minimal effort, never quite doing any one thing great. So I think it's better to just put your full effort into whatever you're doing. So that would be my advice is just put a lot of energy into the stuff that you decide to do. Try to put your full self into it. It's a challenge, you know. There's lazy ways to do things and there's energetic ways to do things. That would probably be my biggest tip for people that want to get a lot done during the day. Fedison says, Hi, Joseph. I've been following your channel over the past couple of months, and this week I opened my own M1 account with some stocks being transferred over from another brokerage. Thank you for inspiring me to get involved in investing and taking your approach. My question is around the social aspect of your portfolio. Your non-retirement portfolio is a sizable amount with a growing income every month, and it's also very public. 
My experience has always taught me to be a bit discreet when it comes to how much money you make or else you risk people in your life treating you differently or maybe even asking you to help them out. I'm just curious to know if people in your life have made comments about your portfolio or it's changed the dynamics of your relationships. Are you the guy that's expected to pick up the tab at restaurants, asked to borrow money, asked to buy extra box of Girl Scout cookies? If so, how do you manage that? If not, are you expecting it to happen in the future? I hope you would never encounter something like that, but it's hard to ignore the ugly social side of displaying your success. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you for asking what I think is one of the best questions that I've been asked so far. This whole I, this whole issue of if you reveal parts of your finances, it changes relationship dynamics. That was probably my biggest consideration when starting this YouTube channel is I'm putting that financial information out there and eventually people around me will find out will find out about the YouTube channel. Will that change things? My personal Facebook, like the one that I have all my personal friends and family members and people around my neighborhood added, I've never shared a single video on that. So I've never promoted the channel. I've asked my wife not to as well because I think it will come off the wrong way. If you're, you're promoting videos to your close friends and family and neighborhood and that type of thing about your financial situation, that might just come off the wrong way. So I haven't done that at all. I've focused just on posting this on YouTube for strangers to see, because I think that that shows a different motive, that I'm not looking to impress people. I don't care about impressing complete strangers. Now, as far as relationships and and social aspects changing, uh, there might be some social dynamics that change. It's hard to tell. You know, it's really hard to tell if people do act differently around you. Uh, I will say for the most part, I don't think that that's the case. I look around the area that I live is a pretty nice neighborhood. So most people here are really well off. They're professionals. They make lots of money. You know, they're not people that are struggling. So my, I had one neighbor actually tell me he heard about the channel through Grapevine and he just said it was great that he's been watching all of it. It's a super entertaining channel. He was very complimentary of it. And I think he genuinely was excited about it, right? And I think that's most people's reaction is that the at least the area that I live in, the people that I'm around, most of them are excited and happy about it. I don't think there's a lot of like jealousy or anything like that. Um, and especially a lot of people I live around, I think you know, they're probably better off than I am. So they have no reason to be jealous because they're probably in a much better financial situation than I am. As far as my family's concerned, they've been nothing but supportive. They don't care at all. Uh, you know, there's people like my oldest brother that's a, a retinal surgeon that I've mentioned before. He makes a lot of money. If you if you go into surgery and you go into specialized eye surgery, you're going to make a decent amount of money. So my family, there's already there's already members of my family that have a lot of money. This isn't something new showing a portfolio of 60 or 70,000. Um, in honest regards, it's really not a whole lot of money. That's not enough money that people that have generated a lot of wealth and have been investing for a while, they're not going to really be impressed with sixty or $70,000. If you're just starting on the journey, it seems like an insurmountable amount of money, right? If you're used to living paycheck to paycheck, sixty or $70,000, what would you even do with that amount of money, right? It's all relative. So some people, this will seem like a lot of money. Some people, it's not that impressive. It's completely relative. So overall, I would say that I have not noticed any kind of big relationship or social change since starting my YouTube. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm naive to some of it. I don't know, but I haven't noticed any real big changes. I have heard stories of people that they come into a lot of money or something changes in their financial situation and now they have a lot of money and they have to essentially hide it from their family. They have to hide it from their friends because they would be asked about it and they're afraid that it would change social dynamics. I think if your friends will treat you completely differently 
if you have more money than them, then they're not really true friends. That's not what good friends would do. So I think if all of a sudden you had a little bit more money than your friends, if they're going to come begging you for money, uh, you, you probably need to find new friends at that point. Sorry to say. All right, well, I'm going to have to end it there. So write into josephcarlsonshow.gmail.com if you have questions. You can also support the channel directly with my Patreon. There's a link in it. it. gives you access to a Discord channel, which I frequent and talk to some of the people there. So that's a fun thing, too. Otherwise, I'll catch you guys next time.